Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, I hope as you uh, came in, you picked up, uh, actually, uh, you probably, I think we uh, destroyed a few trees this morning uh, with all of our handouts, uh, but uh, you got one of these, hopefully. Again, uh, we're continuing the, the Encouraging Word series uh, in which uh, we give you uh, what you give me. <laughs> one way to say it, I guess, uh, which is to say, I've asked you for encouraging passages, uh, and, uh, and, and then I give them back to you, uh, and we talk about them together. Uh, Paul Bracco, who just read our, our scripture for today, um, uh, gave this one to me, and uh, I was pleased to receive it. Uh, it's one that I don't know that I would have chosen um, of my own accord, Uh, which is often how I like to read scripture, uh, through somebody else's eyes. Uh, And so to see someone pick this as a word that is encouraging to me uh, made me think differently about the scripture we're uh, about to read and and I'm about to preach on uh, here. Uh, It's a a word that's filled with action, if nothing else. Uh, A walking map is, is what I called it. It's a a way to get going. Uh, I had a conversation this week uh, with somebody about about how to rest, uh, about how to achieve uh, sanctuary, which is one of our values here, um, and what this looks like in the Christian life. And and sometimes it feels like rest should simply be taking a nap or uh, going to sleep at the right time, and it is, like, that's good too. But sometimes what we're really searching for is, is actually like an inner peace. And to get that means not sitting in the place you're in. It actually means standing up and walking somewhere and moving and doing something. And I think that's what Paul gives us this morning. He gives us this walking map, so to speak. He gives us a, a way to, to do something to get us out of the desperate estate we might find ourselves in. Before we continue, um, I do want to quickly say uh, that the, the deacon nomination form that you also have been given, uh, we should take seriously. Uh, and we need, uh, we need your input on those. And we will be collecting them uh, afterward if, uh, if you write out five names or three names or just one name or however many names you want to put on there. Well, I guess it, up to five. Um, but this is part of what it means to be uh, members of this church and to do church life together, right? Is we, we, we pull together and we say, yeah, we think these people would be appropriate deacons. And as I said in my email yesterday, in case you didn't read it, or if you did read it, and uh, deacons are people who uh, care, and they connect, and they communicate. These are kind of the three C's we put uh, to our deacons, right? And so what I would encourage you to do is to think through um, the, the members of our congregation and think, you know, who's really good that connecting and, and caring and communicating. And, and who's that kind of person that would be a, a, a person that would be a benefit to our deacon body? And it may not be the person you initially think like should be a deacon, but it may be somebody out of the box. Uh, and I would encourage you to, to, to nominate that person too. 
As I said in the email, we uh, do ordain both men and women as deacons. We find women deacons in the Bible. And so uh, it's fully appropriate. Uh, if Phoebe in Romans 16 is a deacon, uh, well, so too the women of our church can be deacons. And uh, I certainly invite that. <clears throat> um, so as you uh, think today uh, about who that should be, I do want to encourage you to not let this moment pass and to fill it out and, and to, to accomplish this today. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this church body, for South Run Baptist Church, for the sanctuary that it provides to the community around it, to the members that make it up, to the body of believers that is South Run. We're grateful uh, for all that you have done in our past, and Lord, we look forward to following you into a bright future together. I pray that you give us a word this morning and speak to our hearts. I pray that we let go of that which we bring into the building this morning that distracts and holds us down. And this morning, we take a big, big deep breath and we allow you to speak into our lives. Lord, you have a word for us. We're certain of that. May we hear it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're reading from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 to 21, and I would encourage you to uh, have your Bible before you, and we're going to go verse by verse uh, and take a close look at each one of these. Um, the, uh, the series that we're in, being an, a series about encouragement, uh, has helped for me reframe uh, the entirety of these verses. The, the, there's uh, quite a few. There's 13, 14 verses in 9 to 21 here. Uh, and uh, there's a lot going on, right? There's actually, frankly, too much. Uh, I could go one by, probably do a sermon on every verse. Uh, and yet here we are uh, doing all of them at one time. Uh, the way I want to capture the whole of it is uh, to think in terms of uh, this being a roadmap uh, for uh, adversity. When adversity strikes, and maybe someone specific here, when you have somebody in your life who is causing trouble, you might need some kind of encouragement from the Word. And I do think that's what Paul offers here. He's not offering you a word in good times, right? Uh, frankly, uh, living through the good times is the easy part. He, he's offering you a word of encouragement when times get rough, and maybe you have somebody, or, or, or maybe it's a group of people, or maybe it's a, an institution, or whatever it might be that is causing conflict in your life, adversity in your life. And I think Paul has a word for us. He starts in verse 9, and he says very simply, Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And this verse has two parts to it, doesn't it? It starts with love, something we talk about a lot 
and let it be genuine. And then he talks about evil and goodness. And I think both of these are really important here. And they kind of lay a foundation for everything he's going to say after this. Love is, is really the bottom line of everything he's talking about. God is love. And undergirding all of our strivings in life should be a heart of love as well. And not necessarily the emotional side of love, though as we'll see in the next verse, the emotional side can be there too. But certainly love as understood as a radical concern for the other. First for God, then for the neighbor, right? Uh, in youth group this last week on Wednesday night, um, my son uh, asked uh, uh, what I actually thought was a pretty profound question on the surface, it might not seem so, but uh, he said, how do you know if you love God, right? How do you know if you love God? So let that one sink in for a second. And uh, Adam Yingling was there, and he, I thought, had a wonderful response to it. Uh, Jesus says, well, if you keep my commandments, you love me, right? Those who love me keep my commandments. And this was this is a great response. And the commandments, of course, can be boiled down into two things. Love God and love your neighbor. But then we're back to the loving God part, right? Which gets, you know, how do you know that you love God? Uh, which I think kicks us back over to that second one. Loving our neighbor. Loving other people. And um, I'm a firm believer and, and kind of, I, I hope it's maturity that's kicking in here. Uh, but the older I get, the more I think that I can't demonstrate, it's difficult to demonstrate my love for God. Yes, I can and should uh, do things like prayer, uh, and I should do disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, and I should uh, attend church, and I, I should do all of the things, right? But if I'm not loving my neighbor... I think that is much more of an indicator of how much I truly love God. Do I love the other? And Paul gets radical here, and so does Jesus. And he really commands that we don't just love our friends and our churchmates and our families and the, the people we like, right? They command that we love our enemies, and that is where it gets difficult. And so in the face of adversity, love is still the answer. And the second half of this verse here is, well, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And I think, as I sat with this passage, and and this verse in particular, kind of kicking off the whole passage... I thought, this is a wonderful way, actually, to start it all. Because we must remember that evil is evil and good is good. I don't know how that strikes you. But it's important that evil be evil and good be good. Because what's going to happen in the rest of the passage is Paul's going to say things like, do not repay evil for evil. And if you do this enough in life, if you don't repay evil for evil, and if you show enough mercy in life, it could become a place, or you could come to a place, where evil is not treated as evil. 
or good, good. And these two things kind of get fused somehow. And Paul's saying very clearly up front that we cannot do that. Evil must be something that we abhor for other people and most certainly in ourselves. It's a reminder that just because we don't repay evil for evil does not make evil less evil. Evil is still wrong, even when we treat others with grace and with mercy despite their actions. Paul does not want to erase the truth that evil and good are important categories because they are. And there's a temptation to limit the damage that sin causes in life, that evil can cause in life. And you might want to say something like, everybody sins, so just be kind to everybody. You've hurt somebody, I've hurt somebody, let's just let it go. But this does not really make sin any less harmful, does it? This does not excuse your harm or make evil somehow acceptable. Grace is necessary, yes, but it does not diminish the harm of evil. And so Paul sets out right from the very beginning and he makes sure we know and that you know that evil is something we abhor and goodness is something we cling to. And as we begin to encounter people who are doing evil things to us in this life, yes, we are meant to still love them. But that doesn't make the evil any less evil. In the next verse, verse 10, he says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Again, if we reframe all of this in terms of facing adversity and and somebody who's coming at us as an enemy of sorts, and we respond by saying, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. In some ways, it changes what Paul is saying here, or at least it, it puts a different angle on it. Here he does talk about the emotional side of love, right? Loving one another with a brotherly affection. And if at all possible, I would encourage you, if this person in your life who has become an enemy or who has uh, uh, become some source of uh, uh, an adversary for you, and you need encouragement with this situation... But if this person was somebody in your life who you had a measure of affection for at some point in your life, I would remind you to remind yourself of that affection. To remember who they were and what they've done and that which is good in them. Remind yourself that it has not always been this way. But if it 
has never been this way. If, if this enemy maybe is like your boss and you've never liked this boss and they are your adversary in this moment and you're really frustrated with them and you need some kind of encouragement in this situation, well, Paul has another word for you. It's what follows. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. And another word for honor here is civility, right? So let's say it's your boss or your teacher or somebody who's, I don't know, you, you don't really have a, a strong, loving relationship with this person and they're causing you harm or, or trouble or they're giving you some kind of emotional angst. Paul encourages us to do what we struggle to do anymore, it seems, this day. And that is to be civil with one another, right? And to disagree in a, a civil sort of way. And, and to treat them with honor. And to treat them with respect. Because they too are a child of God. And they too have been given God's image. And though they may be treating you improperly... That doesn't give you the right or, or the privilege to somehow treat them improperly as well. He goes on. And again, all of these statements that he says, every verse, you could put at the front of it, when faced with adversity, right? When faced with adversity, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. And here again, he gives us a, a, a walking map of what to do in this situation. When, when faced with adversity, what do we do? Well, we, we serve the Lord. And he says here, to not be slothful, specifically in your, your zeal, or, or to be fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord is, is at the center of this verse here. And as a Christian, your actions in this life are all in service of the Lord, whether you realize it or not. Whether your actions seem mundane or they happen here in the sanctuary, they are in service of the Lord. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. There is no divide between spiritual and ordinary. Everything is spiritual. How we act in our day-to-day -day is how we love the Lord. Not just what we do at church. Not just what ministry we serve on. Not just uh, what we do at youth group. Not just what we do in our quiet times. Everything. Everything is connected to our service of the Lord. And therefore, in the face of adversity, there is a temptation to become slothful in zeal, as Paul puts it here. Slothful in zeal. I don't recommend you using this language. Nobody talks like this anymore. But what Paul is calling us toward is the opposite direction, which is to say, uh, to, to run toward activity, to run toward what he calls fervency, right? Not inaction or sloth. 
In fact, that's actually what he's doing throughout this whole passage. He's giving us things to do, actions to take, steps to walk. And he's saying, don't just sit there, or as I said last week, don't just be that hippo wallowing in the mud, right? Do something. Get up and walk. He continues. He says, when faced with adversity, or at least I'm saying that, he says, rejoice in hope, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. When I came across this one, I thought, man, this is exactly what we've been saying for like three or four weeks straight now. Right? Sitting in the smack dab middle of this verse is the word tribulation, right? The trouble that you face. And when you find yourself in trouble, he says, here's a few things you can do. Rejoice. Thanks, Paul. That's tough. (laughs) Rejoice. Okay. Uh, In hope. Have hope. Okay. Okay. Be patient. Or as the Psalm, or as Isaiah last week said, wait on the Lord, and He will renew your strength, and He will mount up on eagles' wings. Right? Wait on the Lord. Be patient in tribulation. Be in constant prayer. Reach out to God. These are some very clear activities, actions that you can take when you find yourself in. Uh, uh, faced with adversity. Continues. When faced with adversity, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I'm going to admit to you, when I came across this verse, I thought to myself, I don't know what to say here. Contribute to the needs of the saints You know, maybe give some money to the church or something. (laughs) But actually, I think there's tremendous power in this verse. Because contributing to the saints doesn't just mean putting a little extra money uh, in uh, the the box in the back or or tithing a little bit more. Though please do. I'm not going to suggest that you stop. The money's just part of it. Contribute to the needs of the saints means church involvement. It means the needs of the saints are great. As you get to know one another, I think most of you have begun to recognize that the needs that are embodied in this room are quite tremendous. And this verse reminds us That in our own adversity, when we're uh, facing adversity from the outside, we should be leaning into our activity among the body of believers. My fear is that COVID has taught us to actually lean away and, and, and to lean out of church activity. But I think there's a power... And there's a, a strengthening that can happen when we lean in together and we support one another together. There's a community of like-minded people aiming at a common mission in this place. And as we lean in together, 
we find that it gives us strength to overcome our own adversity. The verses that are about to follow um, are really the ones that are even harder than what I've just described. When I got to this point in the sermon prep, I thought, okay, it's going well. These, these seem doable. And, and then I uh, began to keep reading. And Paul really ups the game here. And he really expects quite a lot from you and from me and, and the people at Rome that he was writing to. And my concern at this point is as we continue that the encouragement series that we're on might take a sharp right or left turn and become a discouragement series because the weight of it all feels like too much. And so before we continue, I want to say two things. The first thing is this, is that I think it's important in life generally that we keep the bar set high. The bar of expectation on us, especially as Christians. Paul has set a very high bar for us in the verses that follow here. And I believe it's important that we keep that bar as high as Paul keeps it. You may not be capable, and I'm not capable, of doing everything that Paul implores us to do especially in the moment when evil is staring us in the face. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't aim for it. Holiness is a real thing. So we've started talking about holiness in youth group. I've appreciated it. I used an analogy with the the boys the other week. It had to do with basketball. I'm going to use it here as well. And um, holiness goes like this. So, uh, I'm actually not a very, I probably should use a different sport. I'm not, I'm not good at basketball. But when I play with Asher, I'm a great basketball player, right? I, I'm, I'm amazing. Uh, I mean, I just look like, yeah. So I, uh, I look invincible as a basketball player when I'm playing with Asher. And, um, you know, you might think, if I say basketball, basketball, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you might think that, um, well, so I'm trying to get to this. When it comes to our own ethical uh, Uh, place in life, who we are, and uh, how, quote, good we are, to go back to the beginning, evil and good, right? Uh, We might think, well, I'm a pretty good person in life, you know? And the question is, well, who are you comparing yourself to, right? Well, I'm a pretty good basketball player in life when I'm comparing myself to uh, my youngest son, right? But uh, holiness goes like this, uh, like, I can imagine myself uh, playing, and then uh, like LeBron James or someone uh, you know who's like a superstar comes up behind me and starts playing with me. Well, then suddenly, I'm no longer 
even a decent basketball player. I'm suddenly a terrible basketball player, right? This is what holiness is. So as long as we're comparing ourselves to uh, certain people, we look like good people, right? But then what happens when we compare ourselves to the standard of the God of the universe or compare ourselves to the standard of Jesus and the expectations that we find in Scripture, we realize that bar is quite high. So I come to you and I say, keep that bar high. Keep aiming for holiness. The problem with that is it can feel overwhelming. And this is to come back to the discouraging piece of all this. It can feel discouraging because I can't measure up. It's important that we recognize that together. And so then the other half of this equation goes like this. It's um, in the New Testament... We move from law to grace. Law to grace. Perhaps you're familiar with this idea. The Old Testament gives us law. It gives us the rules. It says, if you wish to be a perfect person, then you do all of these things. And the law is very good at doing what? It's good at pointing out our flaws. And we realize in the New Testament that we desperately cannot measure up to everything that we should be doing. And so we have a Savior, Christ, who has elevated our game for us, right? Who has taken us uh, as people incapable of keeping the whole law and being the kinds of people we were created to be, and he has offered in that grace. He's offered grace to us. And he's offered us his righteousness, is how Paul says it. So, I would remind us that as we continue forward here, to not be discouraged, but to be encouraged. To aim for that high bar, and to recognize as we inevitably don't quite hit it, that the grace of God brings us to where we need to be. So let us continue. In the face of adversity, Paul continues with his message. And in verse 14, he says the hard thing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This uh, is uh, a hard word. When that person comes to you in your life who is causing you tremendous angst and problems uh, and is somehow persecuting you or, or, or giving you trouble in some fashion, the human nature within us wants to say, curse you, right? I mean, it's literally what it says. And Paul is saying, no. No, that, that is not what we do, actually. To that person... Not only do we not curse them, we actually bless them. Again, we're being asked to do things that are hard here. But this is the road that we are intended to walk. And the encouragement this morning is encouraging you toward a state of holiness. 
Paul goes on. In the face of adversity, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Are you able to rejoice when your enemy is rejoicing and weep when your enemy is weeping? Or do we often reverse that one? We rejoice when they're weeping and weep when they're rejoicing. I've been watching some college football lately. My Baylor Bears did not win last night. And the other team was rejoicing. I confess, I was weeping and they were rejoicing. I feel no guilt over that. Uh, I don't think that was, I don't think Paul cares about that. Uh, But in your real life, when you are met with adversity, are you able to weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing? To practice empathy with others, even your enemies. In the face of adversity, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Find ways to be peaceful. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In the face of adversity, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. To do what is honorable in the sight of all. To again be civil in the sight of all. Do not repay evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable. In the face of adversity, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. And I appreciate Paul for saying that. So far, it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. There are going to be occasions where peace is not possible. But don't let that be because of you, is what Paul's saying. If possible, as much as you can, live peaceably with all. Again, in the face of adversity, this is a difficult word. But it is the road we are asked to walk. Verse 19, in the face of adversity, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul here is saying, That we don't need to avenge ourselves. We don't need to take justice into our own hands and make it happen. We can allow God to do that for us. God is a just God. He sees what you don't see. He understands the world in a way far beyond what you could ever possibly understand. And he knows the right course of action. Do you trust him? And can you withhold your own sense of justice and vengeance and allow that into the hands of God? In the face of adversity, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink, right? Man, these are, these are tough words. I don't know, maybe you do this really well. How well are you doing? Do you have someone in mind, first of all, that you could like run through this list with? I hope you don't. Uh, I really do. Uh, but if you do, like, as, as you go through this list, think to yourselves, when this person is hungry, what's my natural inclination? My natural inclination is not to feed this person, is it? And when this person is thirsty, do I give him something to drink? And Paul here is saying that as we love, in this case, our enemy, what happens? We break down some of those walls, don't we? We break down the walls that are between us. And it might turn out that this enemy, that we have more in common, first of all, than we realize And second of all, that the animosity that is between us is frankly unnecessary. It may even disarm the enemy. Lastly, verse 21 here. In the face of adversity, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And here we return to where we started, right? That there is evil in the world, and there is good, and we are to hate what is evil, and we are to cling to what is good. Now here Paul takes it a step further, and he's to say not only do we abhor or hate what is evil, but our goal is to overcome it. And we are to overcome evil with the good that we're clinging to. So as we hear these words from Paul, again, my concern is that they might feel discouraging, that the the yoke that is put around us might feel impossible. How in the world can I possibly live up to this kind of standard? And I would encourage you in this moment to keep the bar high. That's where we're aiming It's who we're meant to be. It's what God desires for us. And if you think of Christ himself, he matches each one of these. And he desires that we be like him in these ways. And then, when inevitably we don't quite get there, remember that we live not under law, but under grace. All right, last thing here, and then we'll eat together. How do we use this passage? I've got three things for us, uh, because there's a lot here. There is a grab bag of verses in here that you could hold on to. There's uh, a lot that has been thrown at you, not just by me, but by Paul, again, in a matter of like 12 or 13 verses here. And so my suggestion is this. You pick one or two pieces of wisdom in this passage. Pick one or two pieces of wisdom and you grab onto it and you just start walking. You go, right? 
You grab onto one or two pieces and you go. Because you can't grab it all in one sitting. There's just too much. It has to be taken over time. And the great news is, especially the younger ones, but all of us, we have a lifetime to work this out. But we should be working it out over a lifetime. Second thing, ask yourself, what stands out to me in this passage? What part of all of this hit you square in the eyes and made you think, yeah, that one, that one hurts a little bit? Or, differently, yeah, that is what I needed to hear. This actually encourages me to rise up and to move beyond my adversity. That because of my God, I am bigger than my adversity. That God empowers us to be able to do these sorts of things. And thirdly, remember that Paul is speaking generally here. He's very good uh, pastorally in this moment. Uh, he's, uh, he's not speaking specifics. He can't. This is actually the struggle of every pastor, by the way, because every single person in the pew needs to hear something slightly different. And my fear is that what one person needs to hear might not be what someone else needs to hear. But Paul, he, he casts a wide net, right? And so your job, hearing his letter, is to take his words these general words, and to make them as specific as possible. And so what is it this morning that, again, is either encouraging you to get up and rise up, or maybe is hitting you in the eyes, and then to make it as specific as possible, and to say, this week, this week, I am going to work on this one piece of Romans 12. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in passages like this that we realize how much we need Jesus, how much growth there is left within each of us, how hard the Christian path can be, because forgiveness is hard, mercy is hard, grace is hard especially when it's for other people, especially when it's for our enemies. But God, this is what you call us to, a life of love, love for you, and love for our neighbor, which includes those who are our enemies. Lord, I pray this week that you encourage us. Encourage us to stop wallowing in the mud like the hippo, but to rise up, that you encourage us to take a few steps forward and that using the roadmap of Romans 12 here, Lord, that you give us some very actionable steps that we can take in this life. We thank you and we praise you for all the good things that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, sing one final song, Jesus Paid It All.